You're listening to episode 38 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara, he's Alex, and the Cardinals are on a roll. Can they keep it up and leave the NL Central in the dust? Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in for another episode of Chirps. Tara along with Alex this week and we are in a much better mood than we have been as of late. The Cardinals are now 9-3 and three since the All-Star break and they've won some games that they probably should have lost and then won some games in pretty spectacular fashion in the last week or so. Plenty to talk about Although I was hoping that both the Brewers and the Cubs would be losing at this point at the moment, just one of two, because I really wanted to call this episode the eat my dust nerds episode (laughs) and hope that it was applicable to the Cubs and the Brewers. If you don't understand the quote, you're missing out. I I think, though, I should let Alex explain it or you can just go find his tweet because that, despite the nine and three couple of weeks for the Cardinals might have been the highlight of my week. <laughs> uh, you want me to explain that tweet? Please. <laughs> okay. Um, the enthusiast. Ashley. Oh, yes. Uh, she was talking on Twitter. I don't remember what we were talking about now, but somehow we got on the subject of DC's, uh, which is where I live and their bike share program. And I, one time this was probably about three or four years ago would be my guess. I was riding the uh, bike share home from work and um, I saw two of my friends, uh, Ashley, uh, different Ashley than the one we're talking about now, uh, and Anastasia uh, in the Bloomingdale neighborhood of DC, uh, which is where one of them lived. And they were walking towards me um, and I, in a uh jokey like haha i'm a huge dork uh manner yelled at them eat my dust nerds and tried to do a wheelie on the bike and these bikes are really uh kind of front heavy with the way they have to kind of dock on the docking station so they're not meant for these sorts of tricks i guess and (laughs) i immediately uh kind of spun out of control and had to kind of bail because i was about to wreck into a parked car uh, on R Street, uh, near near First and R uh, Northwest, if you're familiar with DC, um, and they sat there and laughed at me while I looked like a big idiot. And uh, that's, that's eat my dust, nerds. Uh, I was the nerd, in fact, uh, who almost ended up eating dust. So that was the, uh, I guess, joke on me part. And I'm, I'm glad you all like that story. It's an amazing story. <laughs> Um, hopefully that doesn't become applicable when the Cardinals nearly fall on their faces after trying to pull off a cool trick. I don't know how this all fits, but I really just wanted to hear you tell that story. So thank you. When they pull out of the Cubs, I will tweet, eat my dust nose. Yes, there it is. There it is. If and when that happens. (laughs) Looking forward to that possibility, which actually could be sooner rather than later. As it stands right now, the Cardinals are creeping up a game behind the Cubs who are still playing. They're up one run to nothing on the Giants in the top of the second at the moment. They're ahead of the Brewers in the standings as well, who are trying to put together a rally against the Reds, who put up nine runs early in Milwaukee. So we'll see how those two turn out. But 
basically what I'm saying is the big couple of weeks for the Cardinals have resulted in all of a sudden not just being relevant in the NL Central, but having a chance when they face the Cubs at the end of the month to uh, take claim of the division. I don't know how this happened, Alex, but all of a sudden we're looking at a Cardinals team that for a moment anyway, looks like it could be a factor in a division that has been a bit of a scramble for most of the season. How did we get here? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Uh, because for a while, it seemed like they had sort of a Murphy's Law thing going on yeah. where, you know, everything was going wrong, including their prize acquisition um, hitting as poorly as he's ever hit um, in, in the majors. Uh, I think you asked me last week, you know, where do I think this team is? And I basically said, uh, I can't, I don't want to give an answer until they go through this 11 uh, mm -hmm. game stretch with the Pirates, Reds, and then Pirates again. And they are what, seven games through that now. And no, I'm sorry, they're nine games through that 11 game stretch. And they've gone seven and two. Yeah. Uh, and I believe I said, you know, if they could, you know, somehow pull out seven and four, then I, you know, will start to feel pretty good and I'll feel like they can be one of the teams that's going to stay in it through mid September. Well, seven and four is now the worst they can do in this stretch. <laughs> so I, I think what I, there's a couple things. One, I, I think back to Sunday's 3-1 win um, in Cincinnati, because that was just a good, solid win. It, it wasn't one of these crazy wins we've had lately where they've <laughs> kind of had these backdoor one-win victories, uh, one-run victories, because Carlos Martinez is almost blowing like crazy leads in the, um, you know, in his save situation. But, you know, that was a game where, Flaherty got in big trouble. I want to say, uh, was that in the fifth inning? Yeah, definitely the fifth inning. Mm -hmm. uh, had the bases loaded, no outs. And Schilt, to his credit, got him out of there. Um, and I say to his credit, because Flaherty was none too pleased, uh, and brings in Gallegos, who, who shuts down the shuts down that inning, gets out of that jam. Gallegos, who has just been so valuable to this team, it's almost hard to... He's been valuable to the point that... And I, and I hate looking at trades of, like, we won this trade, we lost this trade. But I, I really don't care about the Luke Voigt thing. Because yeah. one, Luke Voigt wasn't going to be filling a role on this team. We don't have a short porch in right field like they do in Yankee Stadium. Whereas Gallegos is filling a role on this team. You, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I just feel like his fit is so much better than Luke Voigt's ever was. And, and I'm super happy for Luke Voigt that he's doing what he's doing with the Yankees. But I just don't, I, I, you know, I, I think like a lot of us, I just never saw that happening with the Cardinals. And so th that was a great win. Tonight was a great win. Um, believe it or not, Hudson, what did he end up going? What six and a third? Six and yeah. two thirds. He, you know, mm -hmm. got a quality start. You know, whatever you think of that stat, I don't think too much of it. Um, and to be frank, I don't love Hudson either as a pitcher. But if you were watching that game from the beginning and saw, you know, the team down three runs after the first three batters. And then uh, if someone were to tell you they were going to end up winning that game 4-3 and Hudson was going to pitch into the seventh inning, uh, I, I never would have thought that at all. And, and that was exactly what they needed after what the bullpen went through last night. So, yeah, it's just been a really, really good stretch. I, I guess the flip side of that is there's been a few times where they've won some games that, as you alluded to, they absolutely should not have won. The, uh, the Reds basically... <laughs> handed them a gift basket and that was that friday when they scored that yeah. was friday yeah mm -hmm. when they scored had that 10 run inning i mean that would have been driving me crazy if i was a reds fan watching the, the play at shore and you know uh vado made a bad play and just it, it almost like they gave us two extra outs in that inning 
you know, that was a big deal since a lot of those runs ended up scoring with two outs. But no, I mean, I, I couldn't be happier. Uh, if, if we had blown that game last night after taking a four-run lead and extra innings, then I'd probably be singing a different tune right now, <laughs> even in spite of this win that we just watched. But no, they're in a good spot. I'm mostly happy just because, you know, all they ask for is they keep my attention from game one through game 162. And right now they're doing that. Yeah, we mentioned last week that they're kind of doing this yo-yo thing where they keep us all on the string just long enough to to be interested again. But you're right. It's been a great week as far as seeing things out of this team that we have not seen most of the season. And we want to talk about Carlos Martinez a bit more specifically because I think there's there's a lot of layers to peel back with the Carlos Martinez thing. We haven't really talked about him specifically since he made his way back to the Major League roster. I want to talk about him, but I do think, t- to your point, it's significant to acknowledge what Giovanni Gallegos has become for this team because I don't think if we had put it all out on paper at the start of the year, we would have expected him to be the guy that made the biggest impact that kind of came in and filled in a role when maybe John Gant kind of has lost a little bit of steam in the role that he's been asked to play, maybe in part because he had to pitch so much at the beginning of the year. But then Gallegos has been right there to fill that spot and to be a strikeout guy when the Cardinals don't really have another huge strikeout guy. And then in the absence of Jordan Hicks, you know, you have a guy that you expect to come in and get those outs, which allows everybody else to sort of shuffle and maybe take over some of those ninth inning moments for this team. It's been a tough stretch for the bullpen. We should acknowledge Jason Shreve was DFA'd today in favor of bringing Mike Myers back. So another sort of shuffling of the deck chairs there. And yet Gallegos continues to be just such a consistent force out of the bullpen, which I think is is really special and and such a a testament to the way he's been able to continue to get better at the major league level, which is not always something you see from um, guys who come up in a situation like he did. So that's huge. It's also significant before we move on to Carlos to see Paul Goldschmidt, not necessarily, I mean, talk about small sample size. There's, Maybe not enough to really latch onto just yet, but big home runs in back-to-back nights that were not just the one-off solo homer after they're already down six runs, but a grand slam that ended up being the the win- winning runs, and then you know a big two-run homer tonight that um, put the Cardinals back in the game after getting down early. Uh, against the Pirates. So big, significant moments for Paul Goldschmidt doing what they brought him to St. Louis to do. That feels pretty good as well. And like I said, not really enough to to hold on to and really say Paul Goldschmidt's going to take off from here, but he certainly looks better than we've seen him maybe all season so far. Yes. he. uh, If he wants to just settle in to be this guy for the rest of the season who is striking out a ton, but is also hitting a lot of home runs, then I'll live with that. (laughs) <laughs> uh he is striking out a lot though uh yeah i'm trying to remember what game it was because this is something you had mentioned when we talked i believe almost several months ago now about how he was just not quite picking up fastballs like mm-hmm. he has in the past and i was watching 
shoot, I, I really wish I could remember who the pitcher was at this point. But we're talking about 92, 93 fastballs, and he just looked a split second slow on, you know, on all of them. Yep. And, you know, we're not talking about Aralvis Chapman here. We're talking about, you know, pitches that Goldschmidt should be able to handle, and, and he just looked awful. I was messing around on Fangrass Splits leaderboards today, and I saw that he has uh, by far the most played appearances in the National League w- with an 0-2 count. He has 104. I think Javi Bai is a second with like 97 plate appearances. Um, so, and those 104 plate appearances account for about, and this was heading into tonight's game, but that, that accounts for about 25% of his total uh, plate appearances on the season. And, you know, I don't need to tell everyone why that's, a, why that's not great <laughs> because everyone knows no one hits well, you know, starting with an 0-2 count. The Major League Baseball as a whole has like a 21 uh, WRC plus in those situations and Goldschmidt's is about the same. So it's not, you know, I, I don't know what to say because I haven't seen him chase the, too many bad pitches in the, in the zone. Yeah. Uh, I mean, outside of the zone. And, 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 and I say that only in the last couple uh, games that I've been really watching his at-bats. Uh, he's swinging at strikes. He's just not putting them in play for the most part until last night that that was like a very Paul Goldschmidt home run, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like kind of just muscled it to almost into the river. Did that go in the river? Yeah, it bounced into I, the river. Okay. Yeah. I, Cause I heard someone say it went in the river, but I didn't think it went there on the fly. No, not on the uh, fly, but it bounced. Yeah. But and, that, and that's, that's pretty impressive because it wasn't that bad of a pitch. I didn't think no. it was, you know, a, a decent low and outside pitch and he just muscled it to the opposite field. And, uh, Tonight, I had actually had to duck out of the room real quick and came back, but I saw the replay and he just kind of roped it down the line. You know, we, you know, we keep saying, you know, m- maybe this means he's going to, you know, he's going to get hot. He's back. Um, I could easily expect him to follow this up with three strikeouts tomorrow night and, <laughs> and us complaining about him again. But it might just be who we have to live with this year, uh, a guy who's hitting home runs and strikeouts. Like I said, so long as he's hitting the home runs and it's not like that one stretch we had, I want to say from June into, into early July where he had like four extra base hits <laughs> over mm-hmm. the span of a lot of plate appearances, you know, and that wasn't good. So, yeah, who knows? I- I'll take the home runs because w- we need them. And to this team's credit, they've actually been scoring some runs lately. So that's a good sign. Yeah, scoring runs is good. Preventing runs, also important. In fact, after the Grand Slam last night, well, I guess prior to extra innings, I had said something on Twitter about the fact that, yes, the Cardinals still have to score a run, and maybe they can do that, but then they still have to get three consecutive outs. And that was proving to be more difficult the way things were going last night because of the overusage of the bullpen. And a lot of that has fallen in the lap of Carlos Martinez, who we have seen far more regularly than I think we ever saw Jordan Hicks this year, partly because the Cardinals have actually been scoring some runs as of late. But Carlos Martinez not only took over the closer role, he did so in a stretch where he's been used a lot in back-to-back-to-back games. He was not used tonight, not on Tuesday night, but he did pitch in the first game of the Pittsburgh series, two games of the Cincinnati series, two games of the Pittsburgh series before that, two games of the Arizona series before that. I mean, he's been used so much as of late, really just an inning at a time. But as you mentioned earlier, he's been really less and less successful as those appearances have gone on. 
that's not an inspiring thing to see when, as we were told just over a week ago in St. Louis at the Blogger Day event, that Carlos was left in the bullpen or the plan became to leave him in the bullpen out of necessity because they trusted him more as the closer than they did anyone else. To see him then go out in the next week and give up runs in almost every outing in which he pitched, not a a sign that really inspires a lot of confidence in the role that he's now being asked to play. He has been a disaster uh, the last couple appearances. Uh, I I don't know how else to put it. The last five appearances, he's faced 30 total batters. Um, He hasn't been able to really miss any bats. And that was kind of always his thing. You know, he was our our pitcher who could could miss bats, especially when compared to the other pitchers in the rotation. Um, He hasn't been striking guys out. He's, He's walking guys. He's doesn't seem to have much command. He's, he's hitting guys. He, uh, I, I think those last five appearances he has, and you know, since he's a relief pitcher for, again, whatever reason, um, we're talking about, again, 30 uh, total batter space. So obviously we're talking about small samples. But if you're watching, if you've watched him, he has not looked good. Like he has not yeah. passed the eye test. But, you know, with that disclaimer out of the way, we're talking about an ERA over 10 in his last five, uh, five appearances. Is there any reason to have him be a closer? And <laughs> instead of just having him more in this kind of roving position where um, similar to how they're using Gallegos right now, because he seemed to be much better in that role. And I'm not saying it's definitely there's like him being a closer and not being able to be a closer or whatever is definitely a thing. Um, because again, we're talking about basically five innings pitched uh, that we're all complaining about. But I, I don't see any reason why not to just use him more, I I don't know, a bit more flexibility. The entire philosophy and mindset of a closer is such an interesting dynamic for me. And, you know, we, when you look back over the history of baseball, the guys who are really good closers are just insanely good at what they do, but they're also very rare and very hard to find. I mean, you don't find guys like Mariano Rivera very often, right? There's a reason that's such a special thing. I often wonder how much of it is mindset, how much of it is, you know, sort of building that into something more than it is, how much of it is, I I don't know, whatever it is, there's something that's so different about being the guy to get the last three outs. And we we heard Mike Schultz talk so much. We've heard the Cardinals talk so much. We've heard John Mozalak say the same kinds of things over and over that, you know, maybe sort of redefining how they assign roles uh, as it pertains to more situation than inning is a smart choice. And yet we see Mike Schultz fall right back into the pretty typical, pretty traditional this is our closer kind of thing. We saw it with how they used Jordan Hicks, which is part of the reason he didn't get used regularly and then was used all at what it, it made the usage thing very weird based on the way that the Cardinals were playing. I think the same thing comes into play with Carlos Martinez, where it just feels like you're right. He doesn't necessarily need to be the closer, but instead could maybe be more effective if they used him when it made the most sense to use him, not just because 
he's the guy that's supposed to get the last three outs. I don't know why that's different. I don't know why it seems significant. I don't know what it is that, you know, made him successful in that role last year versus what he's doing this year. I mean, there are people who are asking me if I think he's hurt or if he just mentally can't handle it, or if it's just a matter of being used so much in the last week and a half or whatever, all of those things come into play. But the reality is he's, he's not getting it done. And I don't know that this is a team that can afford to, now they've gotten lucky the last couple of times he's been out there giving up runs anyway they've been able to pull off the win but I don't know if they can afford to just hope to get lucky too many times with Carlos Martinez in that spot not performing the way that one he's capable of but two they absolutely need someone to especially with the likes of Gallegos and Brebia and Gant and other guys in there that they can mix and match enough to maybe not do the typical closer thing and get the best out of everyone in the process. Yeah. So I want to talk about the mental thing, but more uh, us in in terms of how we as a baseball community fans view closers um, because they really can't win. Yeah. And, and, and this doesn't apply to really Carlos Martinez right now because he hasn't been good. But when you think about closers, so closers are brought in when, when there's, when you have a, a lead of one, two, or three runs, right? Mm-hmm. And if a starting pitcher gives up, let's say, one run every three innings, that's pretty good. Meaning, meaning, if you can count on your starter, your starting pitcher to go uh, six innings and only and you know only allow two runs, then you're in pretty good shape. Or you know, seven runs, seven innings, and two runs, or whatever. Well, uh, apply that same thing to a to a closer, right? If you do that meaning your closer is going to give up probably one run every three appearances. That means he's giving you, as a fan base, anxiety 33% of the time. And that feels like a lot for a closer, right? Like if, yeah. if you're bringing in a closer thinking like, oh my gosh, like there's a very good chance he's going to make this interesting. you know? Because if, if you bring him in with a one-run game and he gives up a run, uh, obviously, and it's tied, then that's bad. If you are up two runs and he only gives up one run, um, but you close out the game. Obviously that's good, but you still get really nervous during that time, right? When he's giving up that mm-hmm. that one run and, and trying to get that last out. So it's almost just like this perception of how we unfairly just look at the closer position that we don't really apply to anyone else, like even middle relievers, because you know there's still that chance to come back and um, you know, get back those runs that they may have given up or whatever. So yeah, it, it's exactly like what you said that the guys like Mariano Rivera, you could who you could almost always depend on not giving up a run, or Dennis Eckersley in his prime, uh, Craig Kimbrell in his prime. Like those guys are exactly as you said, so incredibly rare. And I don't think anything illustrates that more than Tara. When was the last time the Cardinals had a closer where you're just like, <laughs> okay, this guy's nails. Um, I, I, the only thing I can think of would be Rosenthal at the end of 2013. Yeah. And even that guy, that got interesting um, yeah. at times. And obviously as his career progressed with the Cardinals, he, he seemed to make it interesting all the time. Uh, even though he had pretty solid numbers for the most part as, as a closer. So it's, it's not an easy job. So let, let's get that out of the way. But again, I don't think this applies to Carlos Martinez right now because he had that, that's not what this is. He has not been good. And I'm in no position to uh, speculate on 
you know, whether he's injured or, or whatever. But let's say all things being equal, I still really don't see any reason to kind of not just revert him back to that role he used to occupy, which is, again, the kind of more of this roving pitcher. And, you know, we certainly have enough guys who can close out the ninth inning. Yeah, it's such a weird thing for me with Carlos this year because, and it started in spring training, right? Maybe it even started last year when they brought him back and there was this strange sort of narrative that he was healthy enough to pitch, but not healthy enough to start. And that was sort of confusing and concerning in some ways, but then he was pretty good out of the bullpen. And then there was this whole off season debate about whether he was more valuable in the bullpen or in the rotation, which seemed incredibly silly to me. Right. It just seems like such a non-conversation when you look at what he's capable of. And then to suggest that he's, more valuable as a one or two inning. It just seems so insane to me. But then here we are talking about Carlos Martinez, the closer sort of out of necessity, but also because that's where the team and the player seemed to be comfortable as far as his ability to contribute at this point. And again, there are just so many, so many blanks to be filled in at this point with Carlos Martinez. Then we hear from John Mozeliak last weekend that he actually wants him in the starting rotation. And the idea is to build him up so that next year, you know, 190, 200 innings isn't a stretch for him. And that's all good and well, but now we're talking about Carlos Martinez, the closer who's actually not good at closing. It just, there's such this up and down. I can't quite figure out what to make of Carlos Martinez as a St. Louis Cardinal right now that then when you see him struggle, it's almost impossible at this point. You're right. We can't really speculate, not not with any sort of accuracy or authority on what it is that's going on, whether it's physical or whether it's, you know, some some sort of mental block with the ninth inning or whatever. We're not in a position to speculate on that, but we kind of, that's the only thing we have right now with Carlos Martinez because it's been such a weird ride for the last year or so trying to figure out, what he is and who he is and and how the Cardinals incorporate him going forward, which is such a bizarre conversation to be having for a guy that was for two or three seasons, one of the best starting pitchers in the national league. It just, it's such, I don't, I don't understand what is happening with the Carlos (laughs) Martinez story. And this is just another chapter in that where he was pitching really well out of the bullpen. And now all of a sudden he's in this prominent role and struggling as much as we've ever seen him struggle. Now, it'll never make sense to me, the conversation to have him in the bullpen at the beginning of the year. And as I said, even last year, when they brought him back from injury to have him in the bullpen, I, I, I want to be careful with what I say because I don't want to – Basically, I just feel like at some point we're going to find out there's something else going on. Um, but again, I, I base that on absolutely nothing, and I don't want to go any further because then I'm going to start saying things that I don't know what I'm talking about, and I'm just basing it on, on a hunch – um, and you know, that's not good, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been weird from the get go. And, um, I don't know. Uh, but I do hope that we don't make a habit of taking one of our better starting pitchers and seeing how they look in the bullpen, uh, from <laughs> here on out, because I, I would prefer to have good starting pitchers. <laughs> I would prefer to have good pitchers starting. They yeah, pitch it a lot takes- more innings. It takes the uh, the idea of bullpenning to a whole new level when what you do is just put all of your good pitchers in the bullpen. I, I'm not sure that's really how that's supposed to work. Of course, at this time of the year, we start to hear all the rumors about 
potential trade targets. No surprise, really, that Carlos Martinez is in that mix. I think we started to hear some of those rumblings last year. There was this sort of underlying consensus that perhaps the Cardinals were a, a little less than pleased with the the drama that comes with Carlos Martinez, um, or at least the perceived drama from a lot of the fan base. Anyway, he was uh, he was asked about in trade discussions last year and over the off season. That much has been made public, but obviously the Cardinals did not get enough of a return in those discussions for it to really go any further than that. We're looking at the trade deadline just about a week or so from now, and the Cardinals have made no moves. We heard this week, Jean Mozeliak say that they're looking at ways to add depth to the bullpen in perhaps the form of a left-handed reliever, which is hilarious to me on so many levels because this year was supposed to be different, right? And it is instead following the exact pattern of the last couple of years with the off-season acquisitions and what they're looking for at the deadline. But they are in that sort of weird place where they have enough guys underperforming that it's a little bit hard to figure out what this team is capable of. What do you do to make a difference? I still think that they need starting pitching, but the bullpen has been so overworked that now all of a sudden that appears to be a place where you could make some improvements. Alex, whether Carlos Martinez has anything to do with it or not, can the Cardinals just not make a move and call it good at this trade deadline? Or do they need to go out and do something to really put themselves in position to take charge of the NL Central while they have the chance? Hmm. I don't know if there's anything they can do to like really grab a hold of the NL Central. I I just don't see that move there or I don't see them having the roster flexibility right now to make that move. Uh, I guess, you know, a a pitcher like Stroman, right, would be the one who who might move the needle the most. And Mm -hmm. I I agree with you. I, I look at the last uh, couple nights, especially, uh, man, I would like s- some better starting pitching. Ponce de Leon didn't look great last night. Uh, you know, even though we, I talked about Hudson earlier getting into the seventh inning, you know, he really uh, got out of some trouble tonight and found himself in some major trouble in the first inning, which he didn't get out of. And, and also, let's, you know, this is Hudson's first year. As a full-time starter, I'm curious to see how August is going to treat him, how September is going to treat mm-hmm. him. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind some backup from a starting pitching standpoint. And Stroman seems like a good enough target as any, especially when you consider, and, and this was brought up on the the uh, Meet Me at Mutual podcast, that the Cardinals and the Blue Jays are often trade partners. Mm-hmm. You know, there's Grichik, there was... Uh, the Aledmus Diaz trade, you know, there's history there. The Mosaic works, seems to work well with Toronto. The, the problem, and this is more my problem, I don't know who we send over for a pitcher like Mark, yeah. for a pitcher like a Marcus Stroman. If it's, uh, who, who are we g- giving away in, you know, from our farm system and i'm not saying i'm not I'm certainly not against that at all i just don't know who those guys would be i mean we, we would we be saying goodbye to gorman are we talking about saying goodbye to uh uh help me out here who, who else would we be lane thomas perhaps lane, would be on yeah. that list i can't imagine we'd be saying goodbye to dylan carlson or anything like that right. but i don't know um it, yeah it's it's really 
really tough, especially when there just isn't much flexibility from, uh, from the position player side because we have guys who are locked in contracts. Um, now, sometimes that's a good thing because you can um, teams will gladly take on you know team friendly contracts. You know mm-hmm. if you can move them, but I just don't see. I, I mean, I, I, I but but the players who we have like that, like even though it seems to come up every year, I can't imagine a scenario where we're trading Colton Wong. I just don't see them wanting to give up that defense at second base, um, especially flank with DeYoung up the middle. They seem to have a, a very good thing going. Like To me, the fact that Colton Wong is hitting like Colton Wong always has is not this team's problem. <laughs> it's, it's the guys who are not hitting like they're used to who aren't hitting. And so you look at a player like Matt Carpenter. He, no one's going to trade for Matt. You know, does anyone want Matt Carpenter? Yeah. I, I just can't, um, you know, and do we want to give up Matt Carpenter? Are we so certain that he's not going to somehow find that touch that he had as recently as last year? I, I just, and, and again, part of this is my problem because my analysis when it comes to, uh, you know, trades and, and this stuff is not that strong. Uh, I'm mostly just reading the same tea leaves that everyone else is. So I don't know what they do. I would certainly like to see them fortify the starting pitching, and Stroman would be my first choice. He seems like a, the type of pitcher who would fare very well at Bush Stadium. Um, you know, a guy who, you know, he doesn't strike out a ton of guys, but you can get you can get by with that at a, at a place like Bush Stadium, especially with DeYoung and Colton Wong up the middle. A- absolutely, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you know, we have a good defense. You know, something we've been asking for for a long time, and he he, yeah. he would have a very good defense behind him. So that would be my first choice. Whether or not they are in a position to make that happen, I have no idea. What do you think? It's such a weird deadline for me because I feel like on one hand, if the Cardinals spent the entire offseason building up this idea that this season matters, we keep reiterating that, but that's because that's what they said, right? That's That was their big play is that, we don't know what's going to happen beyond this year, but this year is is important. If they then get to the all-star break, hovering around the 500 mark, make a bit of a run, and don't do anything to improve their chances for the postseason, it's going to feel like they maybe are falling short of whatever it was that they thought this season was going to be. But at the same time they are in a position where it doesn't feel like there's a real obvious trade to make because the the piece that they still need, as far as I'm concerned, in the rotation isn't going to come at anything less than a premium price. And do they have those pieces for one thing? And two, if it comes with major league talent, are they willing to sacrifice whatever that major league talent is in order to get that return? And then does that actually help them in the long run? So it's it's a complicated thing when you try to piece together what exactly it means to get a Marcus Stroman type in the rotation, as opposed to perhaps a slight upgrade to the bullpen. I don't, I don't know that that moves the needle a whole lot. So are you then just making a move for the sake of making a move, which also is not something I I really want to see this team get in the habit of doing. Um, So all of that to say, I don't, uh, more than ever, I think I don't know what the the I don't know what the play is because uh, Marcelo Zuna is injured. 
Michael Waka has been a disaster and you can't convince me he's not still partially injured. I don't really know what's going on there, but that's, that is pure speculation on my part. Um, you know, you look at some of those other guys that are on the table. Yes. Colton Wong is going to be in those conversations. Carlos Martinez is going to be a guy that people call about. There are going to be other minor league players that, that are being, mentioned in these discussions, I would imagine that Tommy Edmond has found his way into some of those conversations. That would be a, a massive revolt if he ended up as one of those trade chips. And yet it's going to take some sort of give that people aren't going to want to walk away from uh, in order to get a return that's actually going to move the needle at all. I- I'm curious to see what the other teams in the, in the division do. We've talked about this before. I don't necessarily want John Mazalak and company being particularly reactionary in the moves that they make. However, there's some level of competitiveness in making a better move than the opponent and, um, you know, giving yourself a, a little bit of an advantage there. The, the Cubs and the Brewers both have significant needs as well, and they have also not yet made a move to fortify themselves. So it's all, it's all very much in limbo. And I think. This stretch since the All-Star break is great to see, but it doesn't necessarily answer any questions for the Cardinals because, look, a week ago we were talking about the fact that starting pitching had been great and the offense was pretty terrible still. Now all of a sudden we're talking about an offense that has stepped up and a starting rotation that is reminding us all why it's been a question all season. So I just don't know that there's a piece out there that you can add without taking away from one of those other uh, at least inconsistent strengths of this team in order to overall make the team better. And that's a very weird position to be in as a a general manager or president of president of baseball operations in trying to get your team to the postseason after playing 500 ball for the first half of the season. Yeah. Let me ask you this. What do you make of Edmund? Uh, Because I I really like him. Uh, I don't like him leading off and he doesn't, I, I just don't understand him leading off when he has an on base at like 290. This would be like leading off Colton Wong back in like 2015 or, or, or something. Uh, <laughs> but I like the versatility. I, I like he plays a really good third base. So, you know, at least in the very small snapshot that we've seen so far, we know he can play second base. He seems to me like the type of guy who would be really valuable to have on your team for about 400, 450 plate appearances. Um, I like the fact that if you have to, you can throw him in the outfield. We've seen him, his bat do some things that certainly make him passable. So I've been, you know, I, I know some people are going absolutely crazy about him. I'm not, I'm not that person, but I'm also not someone who's just like, oh, he's, he's not, you know, this is just your Bohart type situation where, you know, we're not going to be too worried about this guy a year from now. I, I think he has the type of skill set that he can really be a, good player for this team. I don't know. He just seems like a very 2019 player, like a kind of guy who, who you can throw all over the field. Um, almost like, uh, th- this probably isn't a fair comparison, but kind of like ben, a ben, almost like a Ben Zobrist, right? Or, or like mm. a, uh, yeah. a Jed Jerko without quite the, the power, but better defense. Yeah. I like Tommy Edmond a lot. I think that what he has shown at the major league level is a lot of what people like about him or liked about him coming up through the the minor league system. Kyle Reese has talked a lot about him. There are others who have said, you know, this is a guy who's going to be able to translate his minor league success to the big leagues. 
I think that when you make the impression that you did the way that he did to start his major league career, it's almost impossible to live up to that forever. But I do think he's the kind of player that has enough skills in in different facets of the game that he can contribute wherever you put him. I don't think he's going to be the bat that that carries this offense to a World Series title, but I do think that he he can play a significant role in the way that he can kind of jumpstart an inning or in many cases as of late kind of be that late and close clutch kind of guy, whether it's uh, an at-bat or tonight he made a fantastic defensive play at third base. That's huge. Those kinds of players are so significant to kind of the overall glue of a team that's able to win and, and make a deep run in the postseason. We've seen it with the Cardinals for years. You know, those teams that were the most successful always had players like that, that you you could depend on that maybe ne- weren't necessarily the biggest star on the team, but you knew that they were going to play whatever role was asked of them and and play it very successfully. So I like Tommy Edmond a lot. I'm typically a little bit hesitant to buy into that first impression, um, you know, that initial taste of success at the big league level, in part because of what we've seen from the likes of, you know, to some degree, Tyler O'Neill in a much greater way, Harrison Bader, and the fact that the the sparkle can fizzle a little bit after some overexposure, and then you have to see how they can adjust beyond that. But adjustments certainly have to be made, but everything that we've seen indicates that that he's a guy with the ability to make those adjustments. Um, you know, it's just a matter of the Cardinals finding enough opportunities for him if that's if that's the way that they choose to utilize that value, I think. He's a lot of fun to watch, that's for sure. Yes, and, and on that front, because it's late at night and because I feel like I've watched, uh, I feel like we haven't had a day off in a while, so I've watched so many Cardinals games. Um, they're starting to all run together, but what game was it where they stole like four bases? They were just running like crazy. Was that was that yesterday? <laughs> oh, <laughs> do, man. Do, do you know what game I'm talking I, about? Yes. Okay. Uh, I think it was yesterday. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so the battery that they were stealing against, um, like that was planned. Like like they knew like, okay, yeah. these are people we're going to want to run, run on. And that's one of the things I really like about this team. Not the fact that they're stealing bases. Um but the fact that they're stealing bases strategically, they're not just going into a game like, okay, if we get on base, we're running, you know, this is not the 85 Cardinals, but what they are doing is they're saying like, okay, who's pitching, who's catching. Okay. We know we can run on this guy. So if you get on base, see what you can make happen. And, and I think that's why you're seeing a lot of their, their stolen bases come in like spurts like that um, because they're being very smart with their base running. Uh, and certainly that's been good to see compared to what we saw for s- several years where it just seemed like they had no plan on the bases other than to be aggressive uh, <laughs> and, and uh, typically with, with not great results. But I, I almost, uh, you know, I'm going to look this up right now because Fangrass has a little like, you know, base running. Um, uh, so bear with me. I'm just, I just want to see where the Cardinals rank in that. Okay, yeah. So according to Fangrass, they are second to the Diamondbacks. In, in base running, uh, in the base running metric. And, and that's been really good to see. And it's not just the stolen bases. It's also, you know, to taking third when you should. Um, and as much as we've complained about this team and, you know, I am as guilty as anyone, I, I should, we should probably point out the things they are doing well. And, and we've, we've been doing that, but 
certainly stolen bases and running and the way they're running uh, is deserve a praise. It is. And that is in part what I think Mike Schilt would like for everyone to see, but also those things <laughs> sure. have to generate, those things have to generate results, right? Before it's really worthy of taking a whole lot of time out to, to talk about. Well, it's such a small, f- like, like if someone could tell you before the season, like, okay, you can have nails starting pitching or you can be good runners on the bases. Like, it's obvious what you're taking, right? Like, w- like the right. the pitching moves the needle so much more than the base running. So it's, it's it's something that you know. There's nothing good, nothing but good things you can say about the um, the base running. I have no complaints, but it's not something. Yeah, like you said, that's going to all of a sudden turn this team into the class of the NL Central. There's other things that matter more that they could be better at. And those are the things that I think people will be looking at as far as targets at the trade deadline. I just, I don't know that I see a significant move for the Cardinals to make, but I, like you, I'm not necessarily <laughs> the, uh, the expert on all things valuing trade chips and, and how some of those things play out. What I can tell you, though, is that the Milwaukee Brewers have even less starting pitching than the Cardinals do. They're getting... Uh, absolutely destroyed by the Reds currently right. 14 to five in the oh. seventh inning. So that's, that's happening. Meanwhile, much more of a pitcher's duel happening in San Francisco, Chicago up two to one now on the giants. That game's just in the fourth inning. So all of that to say the Cardinals have a great opportunity. They won't lose a series on this road trip, which is huge considering it's made up, of games primarily in the NL central. And um, that's a, a huge chance for them to not necessarily make up ground on the top two teams, but to sort of hold their ground and and not let those other teams in the division, the reds and the pirates be a factor in determining the, the fate of the Cardinals. It's really going to come down to maybe who makes a, a better move to fortify their team. Um, but simultaneously, you know, which team starts to play up to the potential that everyone thought that they had. So it's going to be interesting to see as we move toward the deadline past it and, and down the stretch, Alex, that is all I have as far as this week of Cardinals baseball. Do you have a trip of the week? I, I do. It'd be weird if I didn't, right? Like, so like no, be. I don't. Let's yeah. end the show. All right, since <laughs> I would just wrap my... it up though. Cause I don't, I have nothing. <laughs> kind of my job, I guess. Okay, so back in the day, I don't know if MLB Network still does this, but back in uh, 2012, MLB Network's Twitter account would like ask their followers uh, baseball trivia questions um, in exchange for autographed baseballs. All you had to do to um, participate in this is just act, you know, like a doofus and quite shameful on Twitter, um, which I was more than happy to do back in 2012 because I had like 10 followers, you know, and no one. No one knew me, and I didn't care if I was looked like an autograph hound on Twitter, which is very weird because I don't even care that much about autographs. But anyway, that's beside the point. But on October 1st, 2012, and I was very much in a baseball mood at this time because this was just a couple days before the Cardinals would play the Braves in that first uh, um, NL wildcard game. Uh, but on that day, MLB Network asked, tweeted, I should say, who was the last pitcher to start games one and seven of a World Series the same year they made their MLB debut. Signed ball for the 10th with the correct reply. Well, I knew this answer immediately. 
I don't know why I knew. Um, well, I mean, it helps that the answer is a cardinal, but it's still it's a, still a very, uh, you know, it's not the most common stat in the world. But I knew the answer was Joe McGrain. And so I immediately replied, uh, Joe McGrain. And apparently other people immediately replied, uh, Joe McGrain, because I was the 10th person with the correct answer, which was, in fact, Joe McGrain. So I won the baseball. <laughs> and they tweeted back at me, congratulations, uh, Alex Card 79, you have won the Joe McGrain baseball. And I'm thinking, great. They sent me like a DM and said, uh, you know, send us your address and you'll get a ball soon. And sure enough, a few days later, an autographed uh, baseball came in the mail and I opened it and it said Ron Gant. I got an, a Ron Gant <laughs> autographed baseball, which uh, it's not bad either. Uh, I, li- I loved Ron Gant. You know, he had a he had some fun years with the Cardinals. They, you know, when they got Ron Gant, that was like, oh wow, the Cardinals are serious now. They have Ron Gant, Tony Larusa, they have all these people. So I have very good memories of Ron Gant, but I kind of wanted the Joe McGrain ball. For one, I felt like I'd earned it. I'd answered the question correctly. And uh, you know, I liked Joe McGrain. He was one of my uh, favorite pitchers back in the day. So I just kind of sent them a message saying, Hey, you know, uh, just want to let you know I actually got a ball, uh autograph Ron Gant ball. And they replied, oh, no, uh, sorry about that. We'll go ahead and send you the Joe McGrain ball. So I got two autographed baseballs <laughs> because of it. Right now on my windowsill, I'm looking at them right now, right next to each other, um, are, is a uh, autographed Ron Gant and an autographed Joe McGrain baseball. Um, but I want to talk about Joe McGrain. He was, in fact, as you heard, he was the starting pitcher in his rookie season in game one of the World Series and also game seven. Now, unfortunately, he wasn't very good in either of those games, and the Cardinals lost both of those games and uh, tragically lost Game 7 and the World Series that year to a quite inferior uh, Minnesota Twins squad. Um, but the Cardinals were a little banged up. It, you know, it's no, not a huge surprise that they weren't able to win that series. But let's talk a little bit about Joe McGrain because he had a very interesting career. Uh, if you look at the play index, and it's always trying. It's always hard to figure out like where the modern era of baseball starts. Uh, but for this one, I decided to just start with uh, 1947, when baseball at least made their first attempt at integrating the league. And I looked at Cardinals pitchers to start their career in their first four seasons, and sorted by wins above replacement. And Joe McRain is actually third on this list, actually tied for second with Matt Morris um, behind Ernie Brolio. Now, we all know Ernie Brolio as one having a great Italian name, but also he was the person we sent over in the uh, Lou Brock trade, um, which unfortunately turned out not to be fair for him because he was a great pitcher or at least a very good pitcher. Um, And he kind of became like the almost like the butt of a joke, like, you know, haha, he were the, the bad player in a lopsided trade. Um, but he was not a bad player. He just happened to not be a very good player for the Cubs. Um, and he also died a week ago, uh, which was sad. But, you know, he had a very good career. And, you know, we should all remember him fondly. But he was first in this. Matt Morris and Joe McGrain tied for second. And Joe McGrain, let me tell you what he did. His, in 1987, his rookie year, he had a very good season. He... Uh, you know, pitched 170 innings, had a 3.54 ERA, uh, won nine games. And as you see, he played a pretty big part in the postseason as well. But it was his 1988 season where he was probably at his best. He had a league-leading 2.18 ERA. He was ninth in wins above replacement in the National League, 
So he had a very good season. And the funny thing is, he didn't get a single Cy Young uh, Award vote. And not that he should have won the Cy Young Award. Uh, there were some very good pitchers that season in the National League. Oral Hershiser, David Cohn, Greg Maddox. But he at least probably should have gotten a vote. But he didn't get a single vote, and that's because he only won five games and he lost nine, even though he led the National League in ERA. And I think that's when, staring at the back of his baseball card, that I first kind of realized that pitching wins um, – are for the birds and they're completely meaningless. And they certainly did Joe McGrain no favors that season because he, he was very good that year. Uh, he probably would have had a much better career, but he tore, I want to say he hurt his elbow in 1990 and was never quite the same again. And by that point he was, he was no longer with the Cardinals or when did he leave? He left the Cardinals. No, I'm sorry. He left the Cardinals uh, in the early nineties pitched for the Angels and finished his career with the White Sox um, in 1996 at the age of 31. So we, he retired at a pretty young age. You've probably seen him on TV with MLB Network. Maybe that's why they were sending out his ball because he was like one of their employees. He was easy, uh, easy to, uh, <laughs> easy yeah, to get, easy get a hold of and get that autograph. His daughter, he, I, th- I believe, has sung the national anthem at Bush Stadium before because she was also a contestant on American Idol when that show was a big deal. But anyway, that's my Joe McGrain story. I uh, collected his cards because I was a big fan of him, mostly because he was on my favorite team. He was the new guy on my favorite team, the 1987 Cardinals. Uh, and because of him, I not only have uh, his autograph, but Ron Gantz as well. There you yeah. go. Do, do you have any Joe McGrain, Ron Gantz memory <laughs> stories? I, I do not. No? Okay. <laughs> no. Uh, however, I think if I had a signed baseball by either one of them, I would have made sure that I had some story to tell well, it's, about it's it. It's very funny because most people, uh, and again, I'm not a huge autograph person. I have, I have some, um, but it's not something I go out of my way to try and collect. Uh, apparently, unless I'm just bored and seeing they're handing out free autographs on Twitter, apparently back in 2012. But anyway, yeah, so I have these like finely displayed um, on my windowsill in, in my ro- in this room back here. And so I feel like if people were like coming in here, like, oh, who, who is that autograph? Is that Stan Musial? Bob Gill's like, no, it's just uh, it's Ron Gann, Joe McGrain. Hey, <laughs> no um, at least that. it's right. But, you know, it's something that you have that not everyone else That's has, right. likely. So there you go. <laughs> Plus the story that goes with it, which is uh, as priceless, perhaps. Um, no, I, I love those kinds of stories about people that maybe aren't the face of the organization types and uh they i always love hearing about players that were significant to fans at any point in their lifetime of watching baseball or or sports of any kind i've i'm never i've never been a huge autograph person um I, i mostly equate that to being unbearably shy and asking someone for an autograph seemed like the most terrifying thing of all time. So that's probably, that's probably part of it. Uh, but also I just have always found it more significant to me to have a photograph as opposed to an autograph because my memory is the worst and it's easier for me to remember if there's a picture to prove it. Um, but there is certainly a, a story to be told anytime you can pick up some sort of memorabilia. Now I can't say the word. <laughs> memorabilia like that maybe that's why i prefer pictures it's easier to say especially when there's a a significance to the player or or when you get you know 
an, an additional autograph for free. That's always fun too. Um, if any of you who are listening have autograph stories or memorabilia that is your favorite memento of your baseball fandom, feel free to tweet us about it. If you have pictures, that's even better because like I said, <laughs> I'm very visual. I like to like to have the pictures to go along I'll, with it. So tweet that at us. I'll, I'll send the person with the, the, the 10th person to chime in can have, I'll send them my round gamble. There you go. No, I'm, it's I'm a giveaway. Really no, <laughs> kidding. <laughs> um, no, but you can send us your uh, pictures of, of your favorite autographs or photos or whatever it is as well, just because I would like to see them. And if there's a story to go with it, feel free to tell us. Other than that, we will wrap this episode up. Looks like the Giants and the Reds are trying to play nice for the evening. The Giants just took the lead, but that game's only in the fourth inning. So plenty of time for craziness to ensue there. Top of the eighth in Milwaukee, Cincinnati still with a nine-run lead there. So the Cardinals uh, looking at potentially being half a game back in the NL Central. When did this happen? How did this happen? I don't have an answer to all of that but it looks like it's going to stay just as crazy as we expected it to be when we thought all three of these teams were going to be particularly successful this year. They're, they're maintaining the closeness in the division just in a different way than we expected. We'll be back next week to talk all about it. Make sure that you're following us on Twitter to continue this conversation. I'm at Tara Wellman. He's at AlexCard79. Tag a friend if they are not listening to the show and share the love a little bit we will be happy to chat with you about this episode all throughout the week and circle back to any of the loose ends that we may have left undone for next week until then thanks for listening we'll talk to you next time